Um, how's, how's the new year going for you? On an average, uh, you just shout out a word on the count of three and we'll just take that one, two, three. Uh, it sound, it sound, all of them sound like good words to me from where I'm standing. And, uh, and I do, I hope it's a, a great year for you. And um, I think it's important this time of year that we, um, we, we pause and, and look in a, in a couple of ways. And we're gonna do that in just a second as soon as I can get my computer here or my iPad to agree with me to let me start. Um, it was about three and a half years ago that I found myself in, uh, in the hospital for a brief time and then doctors started changing my life for me. How many of you know what I mean when, when I say doctors started making decisions for you that you would not have made for yourself? How many of those relate to diet? How many of you are still saying no to something that a doctor told you many years ago to say no to? If you want to at least make him or her happy. And uh, it was in this, uh, this last year that the doctors finally told me, no more caffeine for you. Well, I was already off of the caffeine, but I was doing decaf. They said, no more decaf for you. And they said, no more tea for you. No more caffeinated tea. No more decaffeinated tea. And no more tomatoes for you. I hate doctors for that reason. And no more citrus fruit for you. But there's all these kinds of different uh, choices that, that they've insisted for me. But, but I, I remember, it was, like I said, th about three and a half years ago, I was in a hospital overnight. And, um, and I realized I need to start making some changes. I need to get back to a rhythm in my life. I was exercising, but I, I had allowed the, the sweet time with the Lord in the morning to turn into exercise time. I don't, know if, I don't know if that's happened to you. And the Lord just told me one day to slow down. And so I would start walking with this uh, book of Psalms in my hand. It was a, an ESV version. And uh, I, I like the fact that after the psalm, the, the text of the psalm ended, they left the rest of that page empty so that I could make notes on there if I wanted to. And uh, it, it just began to be such a sweet time. And as I would walk, I would uh, come to certain passages and there was one that just really, really struck me. I was reading it in the ESV. I don't have that with me today, but it was in Psalm 106. You don't need to turn there. Um, I'm not telling you don't turn there, but just to save you time. Um, but it's, a, it's one of those Psalms that tells you the history of Israel, the up and down history of Israel. If you've studied the Bible, if you've read the historical books in the, in the Old Testament, you know they didn't always get it right. And they were like, they were like little two-year-olds that mom or dad always has to sort of herd them back onto track. And God does that because he loves us. But there was this one verse that just really literally stopped me in my tracks one morning down on uh, at, at Sunset Beach here near Huntington Beach and it was talking about how they went up and they went down and God rescued them and he delivered them and then it said this about their enemies he saved them from the hand of him who hated him redeemed them from the hand of the enemy the water covered their enemies there was not one of them left speaking about what the Exodus. And then it says, then they believed his words and they sang his praises. All good, right? Sounds all good. Next verse, but soon, not in time, but soon they forgot his works and they did not wait for his counsel. I love the way that the ESV puts this. It says, they did not wait for his plan to unfold. So, that just grabbed my heart about waiting for God's plan to unfold. We, we say we trust him, but then on a daily basis saying, God, I, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk the way you've trained me to walk to this point, but I'm going to let your plan unfold. Let you do what you want to do and stop meddling with it. How many of you remember the story you learned when you were probably in fourth grade? Never, ever, ever help a butterfly get out of the cocoon because you kill it. You spoil it. And I want to wait for the cocoon to unfold and to wait for the good things that, that God has for me and not meddle in that. So I just share that with you this morning that uh, as, as this year is unfolding for all of us, and that's really, really what I want to talk about this morning, I'll ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Um, the title of this message this morning is Let the Race Begin, dot, 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 again. 
Let the race begin again. And you're all in a race. We're all in a race. And a lot of the race, we're racing together with one another. You have people that you're running with, people that God has put in your life. And how many of you are very thankful for the people that God so graciously said, you're running with them? Amen. Let me see that. Uh, do you see some of them here in the room with you today? You're probably sitting by the most in, important of all of them if you're here with your, your spouse. But in Hebrews chapter 12, I think it's Paul, by the way, that wrote Hebrews. And uh, we could argue that, but let's save that for after the service. Um, but I think it was Paul. I'll tell you why I do. It's so similar to the book of Romans in terms of the theme. And Paul said, and Paul kind of bragged on this. He said, I know how to speak to Jews. I know how to speak to Gentiles. And it's almost like he said, well, let me show you what I mean. And he wrote one of the most powerful of all of his letters, Romans, to Gentiles. And then he sits down and he puts his name on that one. And then he sits down and I think it's Paul who said, I've got to write that same body of truth to my Jewish friends. And why would he not put his name on it? Well, because they wouldn't read it. Because a lot of them, all they need to do is, is look at the name of that author. And some of you, you'll look at, uh, some of us, I should say, you'll, you'll look at a, a book that's there on the, uh, on the bookshelf at, at Barnes and Nobles or wherever you go to buy books. And even the, the, na the name, the, the letters that spell out the name of the author, oh, I'm going to skip that one. I don't read that person. But Paul embedded the same powerful truths into the book of Hebrews that he had in the book of Romans. So I might just say, you know, Paul said, Paul said, Paul said, all the way through this as we look at a few passages or a few, few of the verses here from Hebrews chapter 12. But would you stand with me as uh, we look at the first several of them together? What do I have up on the screen? What's the next slide say? There you go. We're going to read just the first two. I think uh, when I've shared this at, at our fellowship, I think I went too far to begin with. So here we go. Verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to us through your word, through whoever wrote this word under your inspiration and your direction. Help us, Lord, to receive your word today, Father. And I thank you for this family. Joy and I are just feeling such a, a part of this family over these years, Lord. And I thank you for the honor and the privilege of being with them this morning. In Jesus' strong name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, here we are, one week into a new year. You know what that means? There's only 51 more weeks left in 2024. We, we've covered almost 2% of the year already. 1.9 something percent of the year it is gone. And, and I wonder how you started that new year. Um, you know, different cultures start the new year with different rituals. You know, here in America, basically what we seem to do is we stay up late and we make some noise at the end of the, the, the old year. And, and we shout and we toast the new year and such. We, we, I think we just stay up a little bit too late and we regret it the next day. I have friends, maybe some of you are the same way. You watch the ball fall at 9 o'clock our time because it's midnight. How many of you do that? You watch it and then you go ahead and you go to bed. That's probably the wisest thing. In Spain, you know how they celebrate the new year? At the, at the first stroke of 12, at midnight, they eat one grape. And, and they eat one grape every time the bell sounds. And their, their plan is to have all 12 of those grapes chewed down in their mouth before the year starts. I don't know why they're trying to choke themselves on the eve of a, of a new day. Some say you just need to stuff the 12 into your mouth and it's done. In Colombia, they carry around empty suitcases around the block at 12 a.m. in hopes that the year is going to be filled with travel for them. A little bit of superstition. In Denmark, they smash plates and, and old dishes against the doors, I love this, of your family and your friends to ward off evil spirits. 
in, uh, in Ecuador, they burn effigies, dolls of politicians and cult figures at midnight to cleanse the bad energy of the culture. I'm kind of thinking that, no, let's leave that alone. Leave, leave it alone. This one makes me sad. In Switzerland, they drop ice cream on the floor at midnight in order to channel good luck and, and wealth and abundance. I mean, come on, if, if you're dropping Cherries Garcia on the, no, no, drop it on my floor, but not on your floor, just drop it in my hand. But, but, but here's, here we are in 2024, whatever way we started, we've started again. And, and how many of us have done a bit of reflection on that year that's behind us already? How many of you, how many of you did that? Where you stop and you look back. And I want to do that today. I want to pause and look back. And I know that for some here today, you look back on 2023 and it doesn't bring a smile to your face because it was a hard year. Maybe it was, maybe it was a year of breakthrough for some, but for others it was a year of heartbreak. And, and probably for most of us, it's a, it's a swirl of, of both of those. And so I want to suggest two really important perspectives as we look back today. Some say never, ever, ever look back. You ever have anybody tell you that? Oh, don't look back. Just keep plugging ahead. Just keep pushing forward. Well, I want to tell you, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think it's important to look back in, in certain ways. I think it's important to look back every single day. Look back at what went well and look back at what needs to change. So when you look back, I'm, I'm suggesting we do two really, really big things. Two parallel perspectives I want you to look at with me today. Number one is this. Look back and praise God. Give God thanks for what he did. Give God thanks for even the tough trials that moved you to a new place and maybe hopefully a better place. But look back and pray and just give God thanks. Now last week, when I, I, sh I only shared part of this last week because we had one of our missionaries was in from Australia who pastors the church that we planted about 12, close to 30 years ago. And so he and I were tag teaming on this. But um, I wrote out this, this prayer. I'm not going to give you the whole thing, just kind of the bullet points. And this is how I started that new year. And I said this. I said, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And thank you, Father, for your wisdom. And thank you for your patience with me. And thank you for my patient wife <laughs> who's been patient with me. And thank you for your love and your grace and your peace. And thank you, Jesus, for the 50 years of marriage that he's given Joy and I. And the 50 years of family that he's blessed us with. And our, and our latest little grandchild. Did I, did I put the word perfect in there? Our latest perfect little grandchild. His name is Merlin. We waited a week to find out what his name was going to be. He was born at home right down the valley here in, uh, in uh, Mission Viejo in our daughter and, and son-in-law's home and uh, the big sister Ida was waiting for him and his name is Merlin but he was named after not the magician he was named after his great-grandfather on the other side and I give thanks for for baby Merlin and for this growing family that we get to pastor up in in, uh, in Huntington Beach called Refuge and for all those people this last year they got saved got baptized got back up again maybe after a, a tough year and kept walking with Jesus and for the missionaries that he sent out. Now, you've got yours, too. If I was going to tell you, and I am telling you right now, if I was going to give you a moment to shout out the thing that you are the most grateful for, as you look back on 2023, what would it be? Give you three seconds to think of it, and in, at the end of three seconds, in the fourth second, you're going to shout it out. One, two, three. Yeah. Those all sounded good. So I think it's important to look back at, at, at how God blessed you. And, and I think it would be an amazing thing if this year we decided we're going to practice that all year long. We're going to come to the end of the day and find something we can look back. And by the way, it's a great way to start the day. As you, as you wake up and realize, I'm alive. I'm still alive. I'm still here. Thank you, God. I think it's a, it's a great thing at the end of the day to practice that, that practice of prayer and praise. And to say, thank you, God, for this today. And to say to him, can I teach you a tiny bit of Hebrew? Some of you already know more than a tiny bit of Hebrew. Say todah. Turn to somebody and say todah. You just said thank you. I don't know what you said thank you to, to them for. Now say rabbah. 
Come on, come on, everybody. Only seven of you said that. One, two, three. Rabbah. Now put them together. Todah Rabbah. You said thank you very much. Now look up towards the heaven, eyes wide open, and say, Todah Rabbah. Todah Rabbah. Thank you, Father God, so much for your faithfulness. Second thing, second perspective is this. Look back and prepare. Prepare to run with greater focus this year. We look back and we make adjustments because the race continues. It's not over. We're all still on the track. The race continues because 2024 is here now. 2023, I kind of look at it this way, that 2023 was practiced for 2024. And 2024 is practiced for Anybody intend to make it to 2025? And we're going to learn how to run this race better and better and better every day. We don't give up when we stumble. We'll talk about that. We stay in the game and we stay on the team. I mean, when, when something goes wrong with an appliance, when something goes wrong with your Rambler, how many of you have a Rambler? You're long gone. The Ramblers are long gone. If you got a Rambler, sell it and buy a Toyota pickup because we're going to need you to haul some stuff around this year. But when something goes wrong with your car, you don't, you don't kick it to the curb. You don't abandon it. You take it to someone who can fix it. And so when something goes wrong in 2024, and, and trust me, something's going to go wrong in 20, something's going to be difficult in 2024. I, I am convinced that 2024 is going to be a monumental year that we all get to live through together. And I am convinced it's going to be a hard year. I think it's going to be a very, very difficult year culturally for us. Yeah, we're all going to be fighting the same traffic. We're going to be fighting for each other in this room for position on the 5 and the 405 and the 22 and that nasty 91 when you go around the curve. And if you're not in the fast track lane, you're just smiling at everybody. You're passing up and you're beating them to Starbucks because you're going to get there faster. But it's going to be a hard year. And, and it's, it's going to be a tough year for us culturally in our, in our land. And I think we're all getting that 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 sense right now. This is going to be, I think, one of the most hostile election cycles we have ever seen. And it's already started. And we as Christians, of course we're going to vote. Of course we're going to get registered. Of course we're going to get ourselves informed. And of course we're going to talk it over with one another. And we're going to ask each other questions about who are you voting for and what about this measure and what about that candidate. And of course, I hope we're going to talk it all over and with God and pray and ask God for his grace for this nation and his forgiveness for this nation and his mercy over this great nation that he's allowed us to live in. And we will labor and we will work for revival here in Orange County together. And I'll tell you, it is such an honor for us at Refuge to be involved in, in this mission of, of mercy and this mission, this gospel mission together with you down here at Foothill Ranch. It really is. That we get to be on the field at the same time in this monumental moment in history. This is an endurance race that we're in. I didn't put this up on the screen, but I want to read this to you. If, you, if, you're, if you're quick in turning, turn back to 2 Timothy and look at the first few verses of this. I love Paul... Paul caught this idea about the race over and over and over again and the endeavor of what it means to, to serve Jesus. And I love the way here in his letter to Timothy, he talks about it in three different ways. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, to, to have a, someone like Paul speaking to someone like Timothy. I had people like that in my life as a young Christian that knew that I was called into ministry. And I'm so thankful for voices just like Paul. He says, my boy, my boy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit them. In other words, give away what I've given you to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And listen to this. You therefore must endure hardship as three things. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The second one, and if anyone competes in athletics, so athletics, running a race, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now he moves to farming and the hardworking farmer. And that's what Jesus sent us out to do, to bring in a harvest, 
So whether you're fighting a war or you're running a race or you're planting a field and you're harvesting it, he says, stay in the game and don't give up. You're going to have to learn to endure. Now, I've got to ask you a question here. How, how many of you are long-distance runners? How many of you love long-distance running? Are there, any, are there any marathoners in the crowd? Has anybody here ever known anybody that run, run, ran a marathon? <laughs> how many of you, when you were in, in school, how many of you ran like middle distance? Did anybody? Yeah. And I loved running distances. I was not good at it, but I loved it. My, my legs were too short. As a sophomore in high school, I was four foot 11. So I, I didn't have the legs to compete with the, the long leg guys that would all disappear. But I loved running through the woods of southwestern Ohio, where we lived as kids, out in the country. And it was, it was just fun dodging the trees and running through where there wasn't even a trail, especially if Butch Franklin down the road was chasing me to beat me up, I was running for my life. If my big brother or a, or a bad dog was chasing after me, but I loved to run. But I've never, ever run a marathon. So I, I can guarantee you something. In this year that we're in together, 2024, it's going to be filled with obstacles on our race and, and, and opportunities as we run this race together. The question is, how well will we run? I can give you the answer to that. It depends on how well we prepare for the race that we're in and we, the race that we'll continue to run. This is no 50-yard dash. This is cross-country. This is an endurance race. This is beyond the marathon, 26.2. It's beyond the marathon. We don't know where the finish line is for our race because none of us know when we're going to be called home. But it definitely is an endurance race. And those of you that have ever even attempted to run distances, you know it is so, so different from the 50-yard dash. If we needed to get a message, if, let's say if we needed to get a message from, from Marathon, Greece, to Athens, Greece, who would you choose? Look up here on the screen. Would you choose Usain Bolt? To run that race next look look at the next picture or would you choose the lady in the red dress you would be you would be wise if you chose the lady in the red dress because she knows what she's doing as she runs long long distances she doesn't stop at marathons she runs what they call ultra marathons I was, uh, the, the, by the way, they pastor, Dominic and Danielle Dinger, pastor a church in, uh, in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I love the name of their church. It's called Refuge. <laughs> and yeah, that kind of happened just through a relationship with us together. But uh, she is an incredible runner. And I saw one of her posts on Instagram. Um, I, I was looking it up again yesterday to make sure I got this right. She ran from rim to rim of the Grand Canyon in 14 and a half hours with a, a group of girlfriends, all obviously long distance runners, 33 point something miles in one day. And if I wanted someone to take a, a, a message long distance 250 years ago before there was even a telegraph, I wouldn't choose Usain Bolt. If I needed to someone to run across town quickly, oh yeah, I'd, I'd call him. But I would call Danielle Dinger to go get that done. And when I was thinking about this message a few weeks ago, I got a hold of Dominic and Danielle. And I asked Danielle this question. I said, how do you do that? I really wanted to say, why would you even think of doing that? But she had an answer for me on how you do that. And here's, here's what she said. Number one, she said, don't stop when you're tired. You stop when you're finished. We're not finished. Stop when you're finished. Number two, it's, and I thought she was going to get all technical on me. Deep secrets of marathoners. But she said it's really just one foot in front of the other. Over and over and over again. Some of us get tired of that in this marathon. And we're looking for some, some secret magic that will help us avoid those, those days when we're just exhausted and we're just so tempted to give up. To find some shortcut. There isn't a shortcut in a marathon. Ask, what was her name? Rosie? Rosie Ruiz, was that her name? In, was it the Boston Marathon? She, she jumped off of the track, got onto the subway, rode the subway for a way, and then melted back into the crowd, and they caught her. They caught her. 
But there is no shortcut. So it's, it's really just one foot in front of the other. Look at this next one. You don't know what lies around the next bend. An amazing view, a second wind. It could be that song, that new song in your heart, but you won't experience it if you quit. And she said, so, so one of the keys to running those distances is it's just that anticipation for the wind that's ahead. You don't know what it's going to be, but if you give up, you won't know it. The last thing she said is this. You don't know what you're capable of until you try it. Not until you try it. It's great advice, I think, and, and it makes me want to run. In, in fact, when, when I hear her story, of, uh, and, and she, I, I love the fact that she posts some of her notes and her lessons from the, the, the races that she, she runs. There was one, um, and I can't remember what the distance was, but it was, it was an ultra marathon. I can't remember exactly the number of miles that she was running, but she talked about running and, and she was doing so well and she was, she was kind of catching her second wind and then she slipped on some snow. I'm thinking, what are you out running in the snow for? It was the race and she slipped on some snow, went down hard and came up bloody and beat, but she did not quit. Now, did I mention to you? I don't think I did that she has for the last four years been running with early onset Parkinson's and she's not quitting and she shows no sign of quitting whatsoever. Well, Paul has some suggestions too for running this marathon as well and the first one is this. The first reminder is this, the stands are already full. I love the way that he starts there in chapter 12 and he says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's run with endurance. I, I love the fact that this has to go one of two ways. And, and this is arguable, okay? And there's no reason for us to divide and argue over this. But some believe that those that are surrounding us are watching us. Now, now Andrew uh, Russell last week when he shared on this particular point, he said, I just can't imagine people in heaven want to watch what's going on down here when they've got a view of Jesus. And that might be the truth. I don't know that they can see us. But I think maybe even a, a more appropriate interpretation of that is us being surrounded is like this. We've got their pictures on our wall. We've got those heroes of the faith before us that have run the race. We're surrounded by them. And I think that's the wisest thing you can do. Keep reading the stories of those who have run the race that you're running. And, and so to speak, put their picture up on your wall where you see it every day. And you're reminded as you stay in the word and you hear uh, about the, the heroes of the faith like we just had in, in Hebrews 11. You see a Daniel, you see a David, you see, um, you, you see a Rahab, and you see people with simple faith put in God and how it just drew them forward. Keep them in your view as you run your race. You were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that ran faithfully. And, they, and when they fell down, they got back up again. They're witnesses to us. They're examples to us. And they're, they're both. But, but maybe they're surrounded. Maybe they do get some... I, I've always wondered this. If, if when I get to heaven, will God give me any screen time to see what's going on with my family that's left down here? I can't imagine not wanting to know. But there's no clue that we will get anything like that. What I do know is that while I'm here, I'm going to encourage my heart by the, by the stories of those who have walked before me, who have proven that you can finish well. Amen? Yeah. Let's do that. Jesus is running with us on the course. That's enough. And I, and, and I love the fact that he's with us, that his presence is very, very real. Number two is this. Don't carry anything that will slow you down. Look what he said here. Lay aside every weight. There's two things here. Lay aside the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or trips us up. And let us run with endurance. Don't carry anything that you know is going to slow you down or trip you up. Even, listen carefully, even the good stuff. There's a difference between the weight and the sin. I mean, Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews could have said just lay aside all the sin. Why would he mention the weight? Well, there's some things that to you, they're not weight at all. But if I would in incorporate them into my life, they would become a weight to me. So there's some things that I know that I just can't do. 
I know that God has set them off of the, uh, off of the plan for my life. I, I love the way that our daughter Bethany and her husband Jeff, she's our oldest, they have three amazing children, and uh, Abby, Taylor, and Jack. And I, I didn't notice this with the girls, but when Jack became a toddler, actually he was crawling around the floor, but it was almost toddler stage, and he would pull himself up. How many of you ladies remember this more than guys do? How many of you remember those days when things had to be moved higher because their reach had increased? And she, he'd come over to the coffee table and he would, he would pull himself up and he would reach for something that, that was within his reach now. And it hadn't been before he got, he got up and, and locked those knees and could stand. And Bethany had decided, I'm not going to move everything out of his reach. Because he needs to know that some things that are within his reach are not good for him. In fact, he's not allowed to have them. And so we would hear this so many times in their house as Jack would get up and reach. And Bethany would say, not for Jack. Not for Jack. And I'm sure if, if we'd been paying attention earlier, we'd have heard, not for Abby. And not for Taylor. And not for Jeff. No, she didn't do anything for her husband. She didn't, she didn't, didn't lay down the hammer that way. But no, not for you, Jack. And how many times would God say, if we could hear it, if he would pull an audible, say, not for Bill. Oh, you hear it. You just don't hear the audible. You hear the, the little little bit of, should I? Or, 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 or maybe it's something like, oh, I'm glad I left my phone somewhere. Maybe it's, oh, not for Bill. As you're just scrolling, scrolling, and scrolling. And it's not necessarily sin. It's nothing that would be on anybody's top ten sin list. But you just realize, no, this has gone too far. This, this has gone too far in what? In what terms? In terms of time. How many hours do you have every day? Same as the person next to you. What are we doing with them? Are we wasting them with the constant insipid scroll and missing something even better? So there are weights, and you'll know. God will speak to your heart. The stuff that, that you know slows you down. There's no chapter or verse that says, Thou shalt not do this or that. But we know that it's excess baggage. And he says, lay it aside. And with it, lay aside the sin. All that God has already spoken about. And God has not changed his mind. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Let's read it together. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Would it, would it be easier if I had you turn to somebody else and read it to them? No, let's read it together one more time for ourselves. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't give it a place because it will knock you down. Knock you down. I need to move on. Number three, run with patient endurance. Run with patient endurance. He says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There will always be a reason to quit. There will, it'll always be easy to quit doing the right thing. It'll always be easy. Oh my goodness, on a, on a distance race, how many times is it easy to quit? As you feel the burn in your lungs and the ache in your knees and your legs and you just, you're looking at, uh, we, we take people to Israel a lot. Well, we have until October. We were supposed to be there in, in uh, middle to late October and on into November. But one of the places I always promise them we're going to go, especially when we do the hiking tours, is we're going to hike up Masada. We're going to hike Masada. And you stand at the base of Masada and you think, do we have to do that? You know, it's only a thousand steps. That's all it is. It's, it's not like climbing the Empire State Building. It's not like, you know, it's, it's really not as bad as it looks until you decide, I'm going to break my record from last time. And then it's a burn all the way up. But you can't stop. You pace yourself and you keep moving with patient endurance. There's always going to be a time that, that's easy to say, I'm going to go back down and ride the tram up. And you'll miss an amazing blessing. It's always, it's always easy to quit. I love the way that uh, in, in Genesis chapter 4, I don't think I put this up on the screen, but in Genesis chapter 4, God is speaking. And he's speaking to a sinful boy. He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, 
then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Endure instead of giving up. Genesis 4, verse 7. Sin, look at this. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. It's, it's been circulating around a lot. Sin, I think it's going to pop up there. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. And sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And sin will always cost you more than you wanted to pay. Can I see the hands of the brothers and sisters in, in this family right here that would say, amen, and that's a voice of experience. Ugh. How much time did I waste in the darkness of sin, committed to sin, before Jesus awakened my heart and put the choice before me? It took me much further than I wanted to go. It cost me much more than I wanted to pay, and it always will, it always will. The next thing I want you to see is this, keep your eyes on Jesus, your champion. Run with patience, deal with any sin issues, don't carry baggage that's gonna hold you down. Remember the stands are full, you've got all kinds of examples and keep your eyes on Jesus. Simple question, we don't need to linger on this too long, although it's one of the most wonderful points, wonderful invitations, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And the question is this, who are you looking at? Who's captured your heart? What's captured your heart? Is there anything that you've locked your vision onto, locked your hopes onto, that is moving you in the wrong direction? Or doing things in your heart that are maybe, maybe diminishing your passion for Jesus? You remember the days when you first met Jesus? And you thought, somebody loves me like that? That they would cleanse my sin, they would go to such painful lengths and take my place on a cross. He, he would do that for me and it melted your heart. It, it melted our hearts. Keep your eyes on Jesus, your champion. If, if you start looking in the wrong direction, you're going to move in the wrong direction. What, what are you looking at? We can, we can spend so much of our time comparing ourselves with one another. I don't have what they have. I don't get to drive what they get to drive. I don't get that much vacation time. Eyes on the perks or even the prestige. Distracted by a diminishing culture that we live in. And on all it is, it's melting down around us. You know which way we're headed as a culture right now? We're headed in the path of Rome. We're embracing the same exact things. You think all of this new stuff that's swirling, all of this confusion that we're going through as a, as a culture right now, even the gender confusion, you think that's new? Read some history. It's happened again and again and again, distracted by all kinds of things. Challenge, here's your challenge. Let's pick just one day, one day this year. Maybe one, try it, at least try it. You don't even have to commit it, you commit yourself to it for the rest of the year. But try a day without social media. I'm not saying turn off your phone if you need to communicate with people, but a day without any social media. Well, but it's my business. Well, then you can talk that over with the Lord. But I'm just suggesting, try something like that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. How do you do it? Jot these, these ideas down. Read your Bible every day. It's the Jesus story. It's all about Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 39 says, Search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but they tell you about me from cover to cover. So stay in the word. Develop an addiction to prayer and praise like I talked about to begin with. Talk about Jesus with those who love him. The family, that's easy, but it gets you ready for the next one. Talk about Jesus to those who need him too. Look for opportunities to take hope to another another person and develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. How does that keep me, my eyes on Jesus? But Jesus said the Holy Spirit's gonna come, the comfort is gonna come, and he's gonna talk to you about me. So the Holy Spirit is always exalting Jesus and run like you really, really want to win. Next thing I wanna show you up on the screen is this. Welcome your coach's correction. Oh, this is hard. How many of you absolutely loved discipline as a child? Did you love punishment as a child? Did you love restriction as a child? Listen to this. I'll read this fast. I know we're running out of time. 
First, consider him. Oh, this is beautiful. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. You should count the number of times in this passage we hit a word that has to do with discipline. Let me read again, verse, uh, verse 5, where the, where, the, where the quote starts. My son, do not dispose, despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son or daughter whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which we all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. In other words, you're not his kids. And I don't get to discipline your kids. I got to discipline my kids. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed and pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I counted a dozen times <laughs> that the word came up about chastening or correction that comes from a loving father. Be thankful for his correction. And I, I love the way in verse 12 it says, lift up the hands that hang down. Lift up. You know what the picture I get in my mind about hands hanging down relating to, to, to chastening is I get this picture and we've all been there. We've all done it, I'm sure. And if you have children, see the hands of those who have children? and put the number of fingers up that, that relate to how many children you got? Okay, you've seen this then. You, you correct a child, and, and the, one of the first things that happened, the knees buckle, the shoulders droop, the chin goes up. <laughs> Why, it's not fair, it's not fair. And I just feel like I, I can see the writer maybe saying, pick up those pouty hands and straighten out those droopy knees. And give thanks to a God who loves you enough to tell you you're going the wrong way. So if we're going to run well this year, we've got to embrace the correction of the Lord because none of us, none of us have got it perfect yet. He's tutoring us and training us and discipling us for one reason. What is it? He, he, it's an L word. He loves you. It's the only reason that a good father trains his child or chastens him. That's not an abusive father. That's a good father. And then run. Last one is this. Yeah, I think it's the next to the last one. Number six, jot it down. Run with the Jesus tribe. Stay in a pack. I gotta ask you, who is your core team? Who are your core friends that, that uh, made up of others who are passionate about loving and serving Jesus? Run with those people this year. Hopefully they're in your family and beyond your family. It really is true that we choose our destination when we choose our tribe. I choose where I'm going when I choose who I'm running with. Look at this quote from Booker T. Washington. He said, associate yourself with people of good quality for it's better to be alone than in bad company. Jot this one down. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. Associate with fools and you get in trouble. You become like the five, I don't know who said this, but I love this. You become like the five people that you spend most of your time with, that pack. I can't, I can't deny that. I look back at every part of my life, every stage of my life, and there was a circle of friends, and I did what they did, and I spoke like they spoke, and I smoked what they smoked, and I ran where they ran, and almost ran over the cliff with them. And today I want to run with those who are running with Jesus. The, the bottom line in this is that we run better together. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, don't be misled. 
bad company corrupts good character, and it just does. So if you've been tripping up a little bit this year, maybe it's because you've been running with the wrong crowd. Last thing, number seven, if you fall, you got to get up. You don't give up, you get up. And I know there's probably somebody here that's going to gonna consider just, I, maybe I'm not cut out to be a Christian. Maybe I just don't have the Christian app in me. There's always, there's always reasons to stop running, to pull out of the race, go AWOL, leave the fields of labor for Jesus. It could, it could be distraction or discouragement or, or disillusionment, peer pressure, weariness. Too, too many, too many. Look, look around you. There's got to be somebody that, that, that in, a, in a church this size, because you know, you know if, I'll, bet, I'll bet, how many of you are, I've got to ask just to see if I'm right on this. How many of you are sitting in the seat that you typically sit in when you come to church right now? Yeah, we're just like that. And I've always wanted to come out with a blindfold on on a Sunday morning at Refuge and just say hi to Joe and Pat that are sitting over here and hi to, you know, Mark and whoever that are sitting over there because, because we just do. Here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Who's missing in your row that used to be sitting right beside you? And maybe they moved to the back. Maybe they moved to the front. But is there somebody you just, I haven't seen them in a while. That's your assignment this week. Get a hold of them if you've got a contact for them. If you don't, just be praying for them. Don't give up if you fall. Get back up when you fall. Too many have gone missing. If you see somebody down this year, help them get back up again. I want you to see a picture up here. I'll tell you what it's about. It's a spring 1971. I got saved November 9th, 1970. In the spring of 1971, I was quitting. I was done being a Christian. And I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was some sin or some discouragement. I just thought, I'm just not cut out for this. I was the guy. And so I got up out of my bed. I, my, my mom and my sisters and I were living down in Long Beach on Ocean Boulevard. And, and I thought, I'm just gonna go out and hitchhike again. Still a hippie, look like a hippie. I'm just going to go hitchhike. Every time I got, every time after I got saved, I get picked, got picked up hitchhiking. Don't do it, by the way, because I got beat up hitchhiking too. But um, and every time I would get picked up, it was hippies that wanted to offer me drugs. I said, No, man, I got something better. And they said, What do you got? He said, Oh, I got Jesus. <laughs> Had opportunity. I thought I'm just going to go back to what I knew. So I stood there at that corner at, at Cherry and Ocean Boulevard, right by Bixby Park for probably 30, 40 minutes. And VW bus after VW bus, filled with hippies, went right on by me. And I'm thinking, oh man, even the hippies won't pick me up. And I realized, God, you're blocking my path. It's you. And so I, I gave up and I walked across the street. And it's not that bench, but it's a bench that was in almost that exact same place. And I laid down on this hot summer day, took my shirt off, and lay down to catch some sun and just kind of fuming and still discouraged and feeling worthless. And, and I don't know how long I laid there, but somebody had stopped right beside me and they were blocking the sun that was, had been shining down on my face. And I'm thinking, whoever you are, just move on. I didn't say anything, but I looked up and it was, it had to be Methuselah. It was the oldest human being I think I had ever seen. And he was dressed in black on this hot day. A black hat on his head, a black suit on with a black tie, leaning on a cane, and he hovered over me, and he said, young man, you're gonna get a sunburn laying there like that. And I looked up at him and I said, well, don't worry about me. I just was rude to him. He didn't go away. <laughs> he looked back at me and he said, young man, did you know that Jesus loves you? And I knew at that moment, you cannot run from God. He won't let you go easy. He, he will not let you run easy. He's going to make running away from him hard. And I am so thankful that day that he stopped and blocked my son. And I'm so, he was the guy that day that helped me get back up. I want you to see this, this thing of pictures. Almost all of them are marathon runners, except one picture up there. You know, the thing that struck me in every one of those around the outside is the dude 
or the girl that's picking up or helping the one that's exhausted and has fallen is not wearing the same jersey. <laughs> They're not on the same team. But they stop to say, come on, you're still in the race. I won't let you quit. I won't let you quit. And I'm, I'm encouraging us this year. Let's be that person. That if you see somebody that's falling, you see somebody that's missing, go after them. The one in the middle. You might remember this. This was Barcelona Olympics, 1992. The boy in the jersey is uh, Derek Redmond. The man that's helping him is his father, Jim. When Derek came around the last turn on the 400 meter race, qualifying heat, and he was favored to win the event in the final. He didn't make it to the final. He, he, he separated a hamstring. Yeah, and I've had, I've had that happen. He came, and I wasn't running when it happened. He ran around and he just fell into a heap. And, he, and you can see him, just the anguish on his, in his eyes. You can look this up. As he sees everybody disappear in front of him. And he got back up and he, he started running like this. Just like that. And then his father, because all eyes were on the field, the officials didn't even see his father jumping over barrier after barrier to get on the track. And ran right up beside him. And he told his son, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. And he said, I have to finish the race. And Jim said to his son, Derek, he said, then we'll finish it together. And you need to know when you have fallen and when you feel horrible about yourself and you feel like I'm not qualified, that your father doesn't give up on you. He's there beside you. But can I please, please encourage you, be an assistant to the father on those days and help someone you haven't seen for a long time get back up on their feet and get back into the race because the race is not over. And we can do that. If we can do that, if people can do that on a track like this, then we can do it on our track. Let's live for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's love him and praise him and serve him. And let's drop our excess baggage. And let's not stop because we're tired, but stop when we're done. Yeah. I'm going to ask a worship team to come back up and let's pray. I'm sorry for the overage here. Oh, my goodness. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace. <laughs> not just in my preaching, but Lord, I thank you for your grace over our lives. And Lord, I want to be one of those men. That day after day after day, Lord, I reach out for your grace. I keep my eyes fixed on you. And so, Father, maybe there's somebody even in here today that's never even entered the race. They've never even yet said yes to Jesus. God, I pray that this would be the day that they say yes to you, Lord, and they, ex they experience your love and your grace and your mercy that does not end. And I pray for this wonderful fellowship here, Father God, that this would be a year of great running together and accomplishing great things in the wonderful name of Jesus, Lord. Run with us, Lord. Keep us up. Keep us strong. Help us to lean into each other and to lean hard on your love. In Jesus' name, amen.